the Connected Families podcast is brought to you by listeners like us. Hi, I'm Marnie Love, and I'm proud to be a Connected Family Certified Parent Coach. My husband, Eric, and I live in Northern California with our three sons, Jonah, Andrew, and Evan. We enjoy spending time together, cheering each other on at sporting events, having family game night, and watching movies together. I hope you enjoy today's program. Hey, everybody. This is Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to the community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. Well, you know, just before I came on, you heard a welcome from Marnie. She's a member of our community. And most every episode for the past few months now, all sorts of people like you from our community have sent in a welcome message. Would you like to send one in? We're running low and would love to hear your voice or you and your kids' voices. So check out the show notes for easy directions on how to send that audio to Heidi, our new yay yay podcast manager. I'm so glad to have Heidi. Well, I'm also so glad that you are here with us. Today's podcast is in honor of Father's Day. I have Jim Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families with me. Hi, Jim. Hi, Stacy. I'm still a dad. Still a dad. Yes, still a dad. Are. Still a ton of fun. Very different than uh, in some ways than I imagined and in other ways beyond what I ever believed could be and excited today to have our guest with us too. Our guest today is Trevor Thurling. Trevor serves on our volunteer board, and he can introduce himself. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks, Stacy. I appreciate you having me today. And I'm still a dad, too. I haven't had quite the experiences, Jim, but I, I still am a dad as well. I'll make a quick introduction. You already mentioned I'm part of the volunteer board for Connected Families. My wife, Stephanie, and I have three kids. Calvin is 11. Griffin is soon to turn nine. And Harriet is our enthusiastic seven-year-old. So two boys and a girl. My wife, Stephanie, is uh, is an author. She's a, a published author of a Christian book, Raising Prayerful Kids, and is the executive director of Christian Parenting. And I have the honor of, uh, of mostly following along in her footsteps. Really have enjoyed being a part of the Connected Families journey over the last few years since we got introduced to it and really excited to be joining you guys today. We're excited to have you today. I know it's going to be a great conversation because it's really fun to talk to both of you because you've really walked the walk and you've seen some change. You've worked on that change. You've learned how to honor God, yourselves, your children. But Trevor, I just want to say before we get started that we're just really grateful for your role on the volunteer board and especially on the fundraising team and how you advocate for connected families especially in front of donors, so that we can do all the work that we do to support families and support the work God wants to do in families. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I did want to mention one thing quickly, Trevor, and that is, I agree, Trevor, in some respects, is traveling a similar journey to the one that Lynn and I did together. But what I did that Trevor didn't do, I hope you get a chance, is get get my name on the book with my wife, Lynn, when we write, when we wrote the books. And because I know you contributed some to that project. You're a prayerful dad. You are part of the learning. You're in the story. I had the privilege of endorsing that book. And it's just been really cool to watch you two grow. I remember the first time I met you, you'd been doing some coaching with Lynn, I believe. And she'd suggested that perhaps you and I could hit it off. So we had a dinner together looking out over one of Minnesota's many lakes and had a long discussion. And I said to her, after you left that, 
that dinner, I was like, I wonder if God would ever draw him into being or Stephanie to be in on our board someday. And here we are. I love it. Well, I had a conversation with Trevor just a few weeks ago, which made me want to invite you, Trevor, onto the podcast because you started sharing about just the changes that you've seen in your parenting with your three kids. And so I just want to start off with the question that's kind of a scaling question that will set up the conversation from zero to 10 with zero being like, I've made changes kind of just sort of happened. And I wasn't so intentional to 10. I've been very intentional about getting information and getting experience around the changes that have happened. What would your number be? You know, Stacy, I think I'd be at about a seven right now. I think a lot of the change in my parenting has been really intentional. You know, I've had to sort of identify the the weak spots in myself and work to put, you know, real change into that. And I think a lot of it has also frankly come from just being around, you know, Stephanie and the depth of research and knowledge and sort of all of her immersive work that she does in the Christian parenting world uh, has sort of put a lot of those resources at the forefront. And it's pretty hard not to get a little bit more intentional about your parenting when there are books arriving daily from authors in the Christian parenting landscape on your front doorstep that are just laying around the house all the time. Sometimes maybe they land in my office by mistake, and maybe that's on purpose. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that up to Stephanie oh. to admit or not. But I've read more than I've met, read more than a couple of them. And there's, there's always good things to pick out and I'm always learning. So yeah, I, I really good. enjoy learning. That sounds a little bit, Trevor, like that, that little chart that you talked about the first time I met you that Stephanie introduced you to as a young, I don't know if you're newlyweds <laughs> or young parents. You, you yeah, know what I'm well, talking about. You mean the emotions chart? Yeah, the, the feelings chart. On <laughs> Tell yeah, us about so, that. How did that go down? Well, I have emotions just like everybody does, but I've not always been the best at identifying what they were. Um, if you had asked Stephanie what emotions I thought I had when we were just newly married, I think my emotions were angry, sad, and hungry. Uh, those were about the three that I had. Uh, happy was one too. Angry, sad, but happy, were, and hungry. You mean that you were able to identify at the time? Well, I was only able to identify angry, sad, and happy. Hungry added up, ended up being one that Stephanie added for me, which is really all-encompassing. But you know, we had a, a, a chart that she actually put on the refrigerator that was a whole spectrum you know, of all of the emotions that are out there. And you know, there were emotions out there that I thought were just words like you know, disappointment or frustration or <laughs> grief or lots of other things. And so I would come in and I'd go, oh, I'm angry. And Stephanie would walk over to the chart and she'd go, well, you're angry because of, you know, you're angry because of this thing you've been really trying to do that you failed at. And really, I think what you mean is you're disappointed. And so I'd have to sit there and go, no, I'm angry because I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, the identifying, identifying those emotions is really key. And boy, has that translated well into helping kids through sort of the things that they deal with. You know, there's a range of emotions that kids have, and they tend to have those same four emotions that I had. And so it's really helpful having gone mm -hmm. through the coaching myself from my wise spouse to be able to sit down with my kids and help them identify what those emotions are and really sort of collaborate to determine what they're going through. Because that practice just in and of itself has really had some powerful effect on, on sort of managing some challenges that, that come up along the way in parenting. So talk about those challenges. How were things when you first learned about the framework, first learned about connected families? What were the challenges then? And then talk to us about the journey of change. We signed up for some parent coaching with Lynn when our oldest uh, son, Calvin, who's now 11, was, I think he was four 
uh, at the time. And he's a big emotions kid, always has been and continues to be a big emotions kid. And helping him manage through some of those big emotions was proving really difficult for us because my natural response was that I wanted compliance very quickly. And so I just wanted to end the emotion and get to a state of resolution as efficiently as possible. And in many ways that caused the, the intensity of whatever we were going through, whether that was sadness or disappointment or, you know, resistance to change, whatever that happened to be, it just wasn't solving the issue. And so Stephanie and I had a very different approach to things. And Steph wanted to come more from a much more academic, quiet perspective that, you know, we were just realizing we were at loggerheads and we needed some coaching to get through it. So we signed up with, with Lynn for some parent coaching. And I was expecting to walk into our sessions with a list of challenges and through a couple of weeks of attending our courses sort of come out with, you know, solutions for those challenges. You know, I expected to come in and say, I have this issue and here's the tool you can use to fix it. And so when that would come up, I would pull out the solution and, and use it to fix it. And I think it took about three or four sessions before I finally sat there and I had a light bulb moment when we were sitting in the office and I just got quiet for a minute. And I remember looking at Lynn and going, wait a minute, this is about me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's always been, it's always, the reality is it's always been about me. And I think just the power of answering that simple question that the framework sort of challenges you to do when you're engaging with kids in what may be a challenging or emotionally intense situation, which is, you know, what's going on in me right now before you step in and try to do anything. That mind shift is so powerful because it allows you to identify what is going on in you, why you have an intense reaction to whatever your kid is going through. And, and really then the second question in that, you know, there's the sort of what's going on in me right now, you know, what does my kid need from me? Right. So what's going on in me? What does my kid need from me? And what do I need from God in order to accomplish in order to serve my child's need? And I think that posture of servant sort of approach that we're going in to help our child, as opposed to going in to correct our child and, and recognizing that we need something from elsewhere in order to accomplish that is the real power of the connected families framework. And it, it blew my mind then. And it continues to now, because whenever I am in a situation where the, the conflict goes poorly, it's generally because I didn't stop and ask those questions. And whenever things go really well, it's almost always because I took the time to ask those questions. So, you know, what's going on in me? What does my child need from me? And what do I need from God right now in order to help my child? It's just such a powerful way to enter into uh, interactions with our kids. And it's, it's been really tremendous. And it becomes easier over time. It's something that I do now more mm -hmm. by default than I did at the beginning, but I had to really think mm -hmm. about it for a while. Mm -hmm. Those questions, what's going on in me? You said it was, did you say it was a light bulb moment? And I think it is for, for all parents, moms and dads, but I think sometimes it's harder for dads. And, and maybe that's because, you know, you said that, that you would want solutions and solutions faster when there was conflict. And so can you just speak to that journey at the very beginning of what it was like to embrace this idea that actually this is about me and how I show up. Did, did that come easily to you or did you resist it all? Oh, I resisted. I resisted it completely. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think, I don't think a lot of us like to admit that we have, we have deficits and it can be, it can be humbling to recognize that you have work to do in order to help your kids. But, you know, I, I tell, I was listening to uh 
we had an occasion a couple of years ago at my work to have a guest speaker come in and talk to us um, about motivating athletes. He was a professional football coach in the NFL. And he had a quote that he left us with, which was that great athletes want to be coached. You could always identify a great athlete by the ones that wanted to be coached and they wanted to get better. And I think that resonated with me in a lot of ways, but I thought about parenting in that moment instead of my professional work, because I thought, you know, I'm a dad and that's the kind of athlete I am right now. And if I'm not being coached and recognizing I have places to improve, then, then that's not a good place to me. I can't get any better at it if I don't recognize that I need to work on myself. And so working on myself has been a really empowering thing, actually. Recognizing that I have things to work on has opened up conversations with my kids about things they need to work on because we have in common that we're not perfect and we can talk about what we're working on. And, and kids feel like they're all by themselves sometimes when they're going through stuff. And so I found that just being able to relate in imperfection has been a really freeing aspect of being a parent that I actually really enjoy. I can't help Trevor as you're, as you're going through this sort of identification when you're got a chart on the fridge and you know, there's, there's a lot of wives who would love to give their husbands a chart, right. (laughs) And have a response. And there's a lot who do, and it doesn't always go well. And in my observation, there's, you know, that's a complex issue at some level, but someplace in the soil of your life, I keep hearing this theme as you, as you render your story that you were willing to humble yourself. You were willing to be meek. You know, I heard this definition of meekness just recently, you know, the meek will inherit the earth. Well, meekness is about having the full weaponry available to you and not using it, choosing instead to to walk humbly and in wisdom and and in, in Ephesians, there's a section of teaching that often gets kind of, and I think this is one of the reasons, honestly, that men get, get hung up sometimes is there's a teaching that's been rendered in a lot of different ways. And historically, you know, there's verses about wives and husbands. This is chapter five and into chapter six. It's like there's instructions for Christian households. And, and a lot of the old Bibles have a heading between the place where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then the heading says instructions for wives. And then it says, wives submit to husbands as you do to the Lord. And I'm not suggesting wives ought not get a hold of that verse and learn that verse and understand what that means in application to their lives. It's God's word, and it's important to us to attend well to it. But husbands would start there. And Trevor, in in your story, I hear you starting the verse ahead. Like, no, the heading begins with this grand context of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So something in you at some point in this journey said, you know, Steph has got a wisdom that I don't have. I'm going to listen. I'm going to respond. I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to stay meek. I can do angry, big, demanding stuff, use my armor to get done what I want to get done. But you took some steps into meekness, which is really about submitting to an observation that your wife had, and you then yielded yourself to some teaching. And, um, you know, later on in this passage, you know, we're given all these quick instructions, you know, wives do this for the husband is the head of the church. Now, husbands love your wives. And then uh, this is the longest section of the whole thing. Like husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. That's verse 25. It goes on and on. And I'm not going to unpack the whole thing right now, but all the way to verse 33, nine verses total. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And then husbands go on to the next verse in, in, chapter six, verse one, that says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And husbands take that and they take their sword out and they say, all right, kids, obey me. Guess what? 
all this teaching in Ephesians chapter five about humility and submission to one another, it's occurred to me over time that submission to one another includes my submission in the relationships in my household to the people around me. Do I listen to them? Do I learn from them? Do I help them become my teacher? And when you talked about, you know, looking to your kids to try to understand what it's like to be them, what do they really need from you right now, as opposed to your big instructions, they need empathy, they need, they need understanding, they need validation, they need affirmation, they need support. You can't do that if your goal is to get them to obey, but if your goal is to submit to them in love, out of reverence for Christ. And it's not like you just do what they say all the time. It's like, they're important here too. What I have to say and teach is important, but what they have to say is also important and matters. And I want to submit what my desires are here to an understanding of what it's like to be them and what their desires might be. And then from that place, lead them and guide them. And yes, hopefully when the kids hear their verse in Ephesians 6, 1, which says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, they'll read that verse and they'll go, you know, the way dad treats me compels me to want to obey him because I trust him, because he's proven himself to be consistent when he asks things of me in the name of obedience. And then a couple of verses later, there's a verse about, it's only verses, there's a teaching like it in Colossians 3, but it's it's the only teaching of its kind issued from Paul to two different audiences. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. And I just wonder how many of us as dads exasperate our kids because we forget about submitting. We forget about humility. We forget about asking that question, what's it like to be my child? And so, Trevor, when I hear your story, I hear that in some manner of speaking, whether you heard this teaching or not, as we yield ourselves to God's leading in our lives as dads and learn what it means to be in submission to the people around us, meek with them, not giving up our identity and our strength, but willing to join and understand other human beings, we gain the kind of influence that we want. And that's essentially the story you've told is I submitted, I humbled myself, I learned meekness, I learned to point the finger inward and say, what's going on in me in a way that compelled you to be a learner from your wife and from your kids as you are learning still, right, a new way of entering into the skirmishes, the phrase, the instruction that you want to give them, which is really the this following of the second half of that verse in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, where it says, dads, don't exasperate your kids. But bring them up in the, you know, the versions all use different words, training, nurture, instruction of the Lord. That's your job. Don't do this. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the training, the instruction, the nurture, admonition of the Lord. And that's all about giving them an example of mutual submission in the household and then live that out and, and walk that out without giving, again, without this notion of giving up your identity as dad and the one God has put into the fatherhood role in your family. It's a, it's definitely a role of influence and teaching, but it's not a given it's earned. And you've done that hard work. And uh, I applaud that. Well, thanks, Jim. You know, I think the key here is that Jesus shows us how to do this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the ultimate example where the, his message is more powerful because of his willingness to be a servant. And I just think back to him washing his disciples' feet and then following on the commands to go and make disciples, to talk about all these things. So he's giving this example of, of submission, right? And stepping back from our natural inclination, especially as men in America today or in Western society, especially to sort of be these authority figures that are big and loud and sort of drill instructors, you know, if you think about it, you know, it's not in, it's not necessarily our inclination 
or what we've been brought up in to step back and go low and slow and create safety before we coach. But Jesus shows us how to do that, right? He shows up and goes and creates an atmosphere of safety and, you know, gets to the point of submission first and really paints a beautiful picture of how to not only parent, but how to sort of be a testimony for the gospel message in that it is not getting compliance. It's showing love and love includes recognizing that other people have value and love includes recognizing that we all have things that we can do to serve other people as opposed to just instructions to give. And anybody can tell you that is someone who serves in any capacity, whether that's serving in church or whether they're serving at a homeless shelter, that the gift of service is not just to those you're serving, it's to yourself as well. And when we're looking at parenting opportunities or coaching opportunities with our kids, and we're coming in like drill instructors, we may get the point across and we may ultimately get the compliance that we're after, but there's not a relational building in that process. But if we come in from a posture of of submission first and asking what our kids need from us and what's going on in us first, right? And then what we need from God to accomplish that goal, we can come out of even a really uncomfortable situation with a better relationship and we can have a better feeling with that. I can't think of a single time where I raised my voice and got loud with my kids that I came away from that experience feeling better about myself as a dad. Mm -hmm. But I can think of a Mm -hmm. lot of experiences where I just, maybe I didn't accomplish my goal, but maybe we ended with just a long hug or my kids crying or just sitting together in the room for a while in a place where maybe I sat across the room just quietly, just to be there and then got up and left that didn't ultimately yield some kind of healing. And I didn't at least feel worse about myself when leaving the room. And I think just trying it out, even if it's against our nature, even if it's against our inclinations, the proof is in the result. And I just think people should trust the process. The nice thing is it pays off immediately. It's not like you have to do it 15 times before it feels right. You know, you kind of come in and you, you go through that process, the, you know, what, what's going on in me? What does my kid need from me? What do I need from God to help my child. You do that one time, a single time, and you come away from that. And I promise you, it'll blow your mind <laughs> to anyone who's listening. I love it. I <laughs> promise everyone that it will blow your mind. But I think that it is really, really powerful to say that you will come away feeling just good about yourself. I think that's the phrase you use, but I also like to say you've honored God in the process too. And you've shown up in a way that even makes him proud. I like that. I also hear maybe the dads that are listening, thinking what Trevor, is your house just chaos? Cause I'm not hearing that you really care about the kids, like doing what they're supposed to or something like that. And so I kind of want to go to a place right now where we really paint a very practical picture of what the before was like, and then what the after was like, you just, you just said it a little bit in high level terms, but if it came to, I don't know, what would be a typical daily squirmish or disobedience or just some issue that you would deal with on a daily basis? And how would you have dealt with it before? And how do you deal with it now? A really good question, Stacey. And I think I would break it down to the challenges are not any different today than they were a number of years ago. So our kids still have tantrums. Our kids still have intense emotional reactions. Our kids still make mistakes. Our kids still feel guilty and lash out in response to that guilt. Our kids still feel sad or angry or disappointed and lash out in responses to those feelings. And we still feel as 
intensely emotional as we did then. The connected families framework doesn't change the fact that people have emotion. What's different is that previously we would have tension that was dealt with in a ways that were leading to trauma in myself or in our kids. And just because the, it wasn't a relation building sort of way to approach parenting, right? You know, you come in and yell at somebody or, you know, you issue a harsh consequence without anything else. And it feels like the kids got tricked and it's just not building anything. So I would say that tension would lead to trauma previously. And now I would say that tension gives way to healing. There's the emotions are the same. But the approach to it is different because instead of me walking in and saying, my kid is the problem and they need to be fixed, what I'm seeing now is that my kids are having a problem and they need my help, right? And I don't have what it takes to help them by myself. I need somebody else's help to help my kid, the ultimate parent's help, right? Mm -hmm. God's going to give me what I need. He promises us that he won't put us in a position that we can't succeed from, right? But I think that posture of me saying, I need help in this situation in order to help my child is such a difference maker when it comes to effective conflict resolution, when it comes to relationship building, and when it comes to doing the most important thing, which is being an example of our kids to our kids for how to deal with issues in their own lives. You know, now when my kids see something go wrong, whether it's with a sibling or with somebody else, my hope going forward is that this has been instilled in them enough from intentional interaction with us that it would be a lot more natural for my kids than it was for me. Stacey, I want to, I want to put just a little, even like really ground level, what I'm hearing Trevor saying, because this is, this is important. I think conceptually what you're saying just makes so much sense and so appealing, but what it looks like, like, cause I know I remember me before and after I've worked most recently in a conversation with a, a military dad who, who described sort of the before and after and the before would be something like, you know, with a seven or an eight year old mom, you know, working with the complexities of multiple kids and different things. And the seven-year-old is lagging behind on an expectation and she's doing the best she can to navigate this. And dad comes in from afar, he sees what's happening and he knows he's got the power. He can pull out the sword and get things done. So he does. Kids, stop that right now. Seven-year-old, you need to listen to your mother. And if you don't listen to your mother, you're going to have to contend with me. Now you either do what's expected of you or experience the consequence of that. And the seven-year-old, in, internally, the child goes, oh, fear built, trust broken, relationship broken, but I'm scared of what's going to happen, so I'll do it. And so they do. And then dad looks at wife and says, see, you just need to be tougher on the kids sometimes. And the wife intuitively knows maybe that ought not be. And this could the roles could reverse, by the way. It's not necessarily that way, but I'm hearing Trevor talk about it this way in his context. You can take control and make stuff happen, but at what cost? And your kids are, are lead parent coach trainer Chad always says, our kids are amazing observers of us as parents, but they're not good interpreters. So children in an instant like that don't understand good good intentions. They don't understand you know, the complexities. That are, they just know they feel scared and thrust is broken. And so now next time dad walks in, instead of feeling warmly connected and wanting to hear dad's instruction, the child tends to want to escape and run away or hide. And then relationship continues to erode over time. The change is when we come as helpers rather than as as behavior managers, we can see it differently. What does my child need? So now in that same situation, a dad can come in with a different heart and say, ho, ho, honey, to the wife, do you need some help here or do you feel like you've got it covered? 
models to the children trust. It's not a usurping of, of efforts and, and even influence in a situation. And then the wife can answer, well, you know what? I am feeling kind of stuck. Can you step in? Okay, I, I'm glad to. I'm going to step in and I'm going to say, kids, seven-year-old, this is really a struggle for you, isn't it? Do you want me to remove you from the situation for a while? Or do you think you can solve this right now? What, what do you need, buddy, honey, whatever the case might be? What do you need? I don't know. Oh, well, why don't you just sit here with me on my lap for a minute? Other kids, you know, I know it's pretty, pretty bent out of shape. Maybe we all need a little break to cool down here for a bit before we come back to solving this. There's accountability. We're going to solve it. There's a picture painted for, for motion toward improvement here. Now the child, instead of not trusting, is going, oh, this feels so much better. I know I'm in a little bit of trouble and I know I'm going to be accountable for something, but I feel safe here. Yeah. That's the very pragmatic sort of I think, picture that I'm getting as you're telling this story, Trevor. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Jim, there's something we tell our kids all the time when we're sort of entering into some of these intense situations, which is both my wife, Stephanie, and I will step in and say, you know, before we start anything else, you know, sort of say, you know, there's, first of all, there's nothing you could ever do or say that would make me love you less. And you say it out right? loud. Out loud to them. Yeah. Right. And they that know makes you accountable for that too, then. <laughs> right. And they, they hear it all the time. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not maybe going to be a consequence for an action or that there's not going to be a difficult situation to work through. But if it's underpinned by a safety in the sense that they're not going to lose love for it. Right. They're not going to lose their standing as someone we care about because, you know, we're the people that they're looking for affirmation from all the time. Right. Kids want to be their parents to be proud of them and they want to know that you love them and they don't want to be a disappointment. And, you know, if you can just let them know that that's never going to happen, if you let them know that, you know, they're always going to be loved, regardless of what kind of action that takes. First of all, it's an example of the way that God loves us. Thank goodness. But hopefully it helps them to at least start from a foundation of a little bit of safety. And then, you know, you mentioned sort of saying, Hey, honey, what do you need from me? Do you need my help here? Sometimes we're in individual parenting situations where maybe I've gone up to the bedroom to solve an issue with one of my kids and we're having a conversation and I just realized I'm not really getting through. Sometimes I'll tap out and just say, Hey buddy, you know what? It doesn't feel like you and I are really getting anywhere here. Um, and so a, maybe I'm just going to step away for 10 minutes and then I'm going to come back and we'll try again. Or you come down and get me when you're ready to talk longer. And sometimes that takes 10 minutes and sometimes it takes an hour. Or I might say, you know what? I feel like we're having a hard time communicating this way. I'm going to go out for a minute and mom's going to come in and she's going to maybe have a conversation with you. But I feel like I'm too emotional right now to give you to be safe. And I tell my kids that sometimes because sometimes I feel really amped up and emotional. And I think it's okay to recognize that I'm too amped up and emotional to really deliver the help that you need. And so I feel like I'm having a hard time being as safe for you as I need to be. So I'm going to step away so that we don't hurt our relationship. Because the last thing I want is for us to hurt our relationship in this moment. So I'm going to remove myself from it because I care more about our relationship than us solving this problem. And I think that's really important for our kids to hear. That Fantastic. was such a mic drop moment, Trevor. I mean, what you just said, that is just huge because it just shows just so much emotional vulnerability to your kids. And it's just so real. And I commend you for that. And I thank you for saying that even on the podcast. I hear a lot of dads, Trevor, tell me that they have those intentions for their kids to feel safe, for their kids to trust dad. But the way that we earn our trust is to not just operate by assumptions. I mean, I remember a, a very intense interaction with my own father later in my life as I was working through some things. And, and I, I was able, through some help, to identify 
different things I felt from my dad. And when I told him what those were, that based on how you treated me, I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel cared about. And I, I felt like maybe you had affections outside of our home for things and for people. And, and ha, he just rose up in anger. How could you after all I did for you? He had a bunch of assumptions that his good intentions, which he had never voiced, that somehow I was able to interpret those as a youngster. And I wasn't because he was fast and he was large and he was loud and he was scary and he was demanding and unpredictable sometimes. And some of that came out of, you know, own personal struggle of his. And some of it came out of really good intentions, but without any understanding of, of how I was interpreting that. And he didn't learn to to get out onto the outside so that I could hear it and understand it. The assumptions that he had on the inside that I should, he just thought I should be interpreting. And what you did, Trevor, was you, what we call around here, you lived out loud with your kids so that they got a hold of your logic as you are teaching and telling these things. Mm -hmm. And then that creates an air of safety and understanding and okay, I get it. And their frontal lobes, because of this approach, were at a place where they could receive it instead of feel freaked out by it and continue to sort of hide and go underground and feel unsafe. We are coming to the end of our podcast. We have just a couple of minutes left. This has been such a rich conversation. I just wonder, podcast is in honor of Father's Day. And so I just wonder if you, Trevor, and then Jim, I'd like you to just close with a few thoughts. If you'd like to just speak to fathers who are struggling with the question of what's going on in me and what's going on in my child and really applying the framework, especially at the foundational level, what would you say to that dad? You know, Stacy, I think to dad specifically, there's a lot of parenting that sort of gets assumed by moms. And I think a lot of us are afraid to step into our God-given role as an equal participant in parenting our kids because we feel like we lack the education or we lack the expertise in order to do a good job. And so I think we tend to shrink away from some of that participation out of fear of messing it up and recognition that we're broken people ourselves. And so I wish that we would give ourselves as dads a little bit more grace and recognize that we wouldn't have been made these kids' dads if we weren't called to do so by God. We're in the right place, and we have what our kids need from us. And I think the Connected Families framework is really empowering because it starts with grace, and it starts with safety, and it starts with love. And all of us are equipped with those things, regardless of if we've read parenting resource or participated in a class or not. Those are things that are God-given to us. And so I think that we can cast off the burden of feeling like we have to be perfect before we can help. And we just need to recognize that asking the simple questions of what's going on in me and what does my child need from me and what do I need from God, the ultimate father who cares for us and wants good things for us is the best possible thing that we can all do. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity for dads to keep it simple lead with grace and step into their role as uh, the fathers that we're all called to be for our kids because of the example that he set for us to begin with. Yeah, that's a really good answer. And uh, part of me wants to just go, well, I don't need to say anymore. And then there's another part of me, of course, those who listen know, <laughs> you know, I have a, I have a thought even about, as it relates to, to, to my own dad and toward the end of his life, getting to a place where he was able to start understanding 
um, that the way he thought it was and the way that the kids thought it was were different. And as he began to understand that more, he, he was able to soften more and recognize that an awful lot of what he did fueled by largely but not perfectly good intentions didn't land on us that way. And he wanted to do differently. He wanted to be better. Toward the end of his life, dad was known to say, I'm sorry a lot. And I really blew it, didn't I? And words that typically aren't very daddish to say, especially, you know, in the era that he grew up. And so there was a certain humility there. And it really begins, I think, developing this humility by, because I think we do as dads, we still have selfishness to wrestle with. And sometimes our motives are not pure, but for the most part, we have good intentions for our, for our families, for our children. And I think that doing some work to just say them out loud, even just to ourselves, even ask God for wisdom. What God, what are my good intentions for my kids? And then wonder if, if some neutral party was able to come in and ask your kids in a safe environment, what do you think your dad wants from you and for you? Would they give the answer that's in alignment with this work you've done to say it out loud? Because if they wouldn't give the answer that you would like them to, when they get asked that question, then that's an indicator that maybe there's still some more work to do. And to let those good intentions, not I should, I should do this as a dad and I should do this and I need to do this in order to be a better dad. But no, what do you want to do as a dad to, to bring alignment to the way that you have good intentions for your kids and the way those kids understand and can even say those good intentions out loud? So it's a little assignment of sorts, if, if you would be willing to take it on, that I invite you to. And if you get stuck or, or feel like there's a struggle in that, we've got parent coaches here that can help get to the root of some of these things, much like Trevor going through this, this work, to really dig in inward and work toward being the dad you want to be through the lens of your children. Good. Thank you for that assignment, Jim. Trevor, thanks for being with us today and sharing your story, being vulnerable with your own journey. We appreciate it. Thanks, Stacey. I really appreciate the time spent today. It's always a pleasure to join you and Jim. And I'm a real big believer in the work the Connected Family is doing, obviously. I'm really enthusiastic to see all that's coming. And, uh, and I hope that there's some dads out there that are listening to this today that feel a little bit less pressure, a little bit more grace and recognize that, you know, you're equally called and capable uh, of being a great dad. So bless you today. Amen. Amen. I love it. Well, thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are a listener supported organization. Over 46,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time. Bye.